The Theology of Life, Part 8, by Chiago Ahais. Chiago Ahais, Ph.D., is a district pastor in Santa Fe, New Mexico, USA. A Biblical Thought Quote, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. End quote. In our last biblical thought, we observed the nature of being born again of the Spirit. Paul longed for the people of Galatia to have this experience of trusting and living exclusively upon what Christ has done and through what the Spirit could accomplish in the life of the believer. In the text, the battle lines are drawn. Paul recounts the story of Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born of the Egyptian slave Hagar, and Isaac was born of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Ishmael was the son of the flesh, and Isaac the son of the promise. Let's think about this story for a moment. God had promised Abraham a family, a future, as numerous as the stars in the night sky. But years went by, and no children came along. So at one point, Sarah and Abraham came up with a plan to help God, to help the promise come true. And by their own efforts, they developed a plan that resulted in the birth of a child. Abraham had relations with Sarah's servant Hagar, and a son, Ishmael, was born. By thinking they could help God fulfill his promises, Abraham and Sarah made this decision that resulted in difficulty and strife within the family circle. Sometime later, God had to remind Abraham that he is perfectly able to bring his promises to completion without the help of any human being. God told Abraham that although he would bless Ishmael, the son of the promise was still to come. And Abraham and Sarah, through a divine miracle that made the barren woman conceive, saw the birth of Isaac, the son of the promise. Paul uses this story to illustrate not only the situation in Galatia, but the situation of all those in history who think they can help God in the promise of salvation through their own efforts. So those who tied themselves to the obedience of the written law and believed that they could help God in the process of salvation were compared to Ishmael, the son of Abraham's attempt to help God. And those who trust in the promise, those who know that it is not by their own efforts, but by God's action that salvation comes forth, are compared to Isaac. They are heirs of the promise, the blessing and the grace of the God who makes sure his promises come true. So where are you in your journey with God? Are you living the religion of Ishmael? The religion of thinking that even though Jesus paid it all, you still have to make a few sacrifices to earn his favor? Or are you living the religion of Isaac, the religion of knowing we are free and there are no longer any sacrifices to be made? The religion of Ishmael, of human effort, is very subtle. It recognizes the promise, but it cannot conceive the possibility 
that there is nothing left to do. On the other hand, the religion of Isaac seems too good to be true. It seems too liberal. It sounds too much like good news. And it is here that the war begins. Jesus, the son of the promise, Isaac, was persecuted by the sons of quote-unquote human effort, Ishmael, the Pharisees. Paul began his life as a son of quote-unquote human effort and killed those who believed in the promise. Could this still be a reality today? My dear reader, may you embrace the fact that we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. May you rejoice in the fact that God does not need your help to accomplish his promises of salvation. He will bless and use anyone who trusts and believes that Jesus paid it all. These will become true sons and daughters of Abraham. These are they who truly keep the commands of God through the faithfulness of Jesus. Because he was faithful, we have favor, we have blessing, we have freedom. May the end of the war begin in us, in our willingness to let go of our desire to help God and to embrace the fact that we are already his desire, his children, his bride. A Biblical Thought too. Quote, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. End quote. In the previous biblical thought, we discussed the metaphorical battle between Isaac and Ishmael, a battle related to different understandings of salvation. On one side, there are those who believe that their efforts contribute to their salvation and that Jesus needs our help to save us. On the other side, there are those who know that only Jesus' righteousness and grace grant us salvation. Throughout the history of Christianity, from Augustine to Pelagius, from Luther to Wesley, every single Christian community has struggled with these issues. Here, once again, Paul reviews what is at stake in this battle. If anyone believes they can be justified by doing whatever the law demands, they have fallen from grace. And such a life of constant submission to laws and regulations is slavery to a system that could only be and was fulfilled in Jesus. Notice that the problem in Galatia was not a return to Judaism, but an adaptation of Christianity. While Paul preached grace and freedom, some people in Galatia wanted Jesus and works of the law, including circumcision. And how close is this to home? Paul continually argued that it was Jesus who paid the price, but the good news was received by some with unbelief.
Now, before any of you get confused, let me clarify a few things. Works are good. The book of James is explicit on this, and so is Paul throughout his letters. Faith without works is indeed dead. But this is not what Paul is discussing here. Works in the true faith of Jesus are the natural outcome of allowing the Spirit to work in and through us, within our inherent sinfulness, to live a life in the Spirit even though we are all flesh. Works are an internal-slash-external evidence that we are growing in Jesus, but they are not conditions for the salvation that was given by the works of Jesus only. So what Paul is attempting to undo here is the idea that salvation is exclusively based and dependent upon these works. Salvation belongs to the Lord, cries the prophet Jonah, and so many others throughout the Bible. And when we understand what Jesus accomplished for us, we live a life of freedom. When we understand that it is by His grace and His works that we are righteous before God, we are compelled by the Spirit to develop a faith that works, quote-unquote, through love. This is the sum of all things. The journey of the followers of Jesus is not one that goes from sin to without sin, but one of growth and love. It is not a life organized around what is and is not sin, but a life organized by the principle of love, in love for God and others. This maturity in love is what Jesus calls perfection and is what a life in the Spirit is all about. A life in the flesh is a life of pure selfishness, and selfish desires are part of who we are as humans. We can see it in our children the desire not to share, to not care, to think only of themselves. This will always be part of our life. The difference between those who live in the flesh and those who live in the Spirit is trust in the love of God. And in this trust, we grow little by little in our relationship with God and others. This is faith that works through love. And it can only be real if we give up all aspirations for a personal righteousness and holiness attained by external acts and sacrifices. It can be real only if we give up the desire to live a religion that accepts Jesus but tries to help him out in the process of salvation by including a little bit of works of the law. This is what true sanctification is all about. George Knight writes, quote, Sanctification is nothing less than the process by which Christians become progressively more loving. End quote. Dear leader, may you trust in this love. May you grow in this love. And may you find the freedom Paul fought and died for in your own personal journey of growth in love with Jesus. For bibliographical and biblical references on this article and for much more content for elders and church leaders, please visit eldersdigest.org.